A number of years ago, there was an article in the New York Review of Books, and it was written by a man named Robert Lewatton. He was reviewing a book by Carl Sagan. Now, Lewatton is a mathematician. He's a biologist as well. And in that review, Lewatton identifies himself as a materialist. He says he has no time or no room for God or spirit or angels. For him, matter is all that matters. Matter is all that exists. Now, what struck me about this review is that in it, uh, Lewatton does something quite remarkable. He acknowledges that there is much about the universe that he finds totally, totally inexplicable. It's full of mystery. He acknowledges that he does not have the answers to it all. And yet, despite this, he says that his materialism has to be absolute. He says, as a materialist, I cannot yield an inch, not even a millimeter. I cannot allow a divine foot in the door. Because he says, once you allow for God, well, then you allow for the rupturing of natural laws. You, you allow for miracles. The dead might be raised. I cannot, he says, allow a divine foot in the door. Now, as I was reflecting on our gospel passage that we just heard, the, the very well-known passage of uh, Gabriel coming to, to speak to the Virgin Mary, as I was thinking about that passage, I was reminded of this article by Lewalton. And I thought to myself that it may be possible to lock the door to that divine foot at the New York Review of Books. But who would have thought that you would also have to put a guard at the door of a house of a peasant girl in Nazareth? You see, if the whole universe is a door, and if every creature is a potential messenger bearing a message from the other world, and if every fact is filled with mystery, how can you possibly keep God at bay? What, what the scriptures tell us and what we see so clearly in our gospel passage today is that God is on the move. God is on the move, and you cannot shut him out, let alone prevent him from getting a foot in the door. Now this morning, what I want to do is I want to look at this story of, about Mary, about God moving in her life, right? God is on the move in this passage. And I want to just walk through the passage, I'm going to stick very closely to the text, and I want us to see two things. First, I want, to see, want us to see how God worked in Mary's life, what God accomplished in her life. But then second, I want to look at Mary's response. Because the truth is, you know, just as God came into Mary's life, God is also seeking to come into our life. He puts his foot in the door, and he seeks to be let in. And so we can learn, we need to learn from Mary. So again, we're going to walk through the passage. First, we'll, we'll look at what God did. 
in Mary's life, and then second, we will learn from Mary's response so that we can model her um, faithful response to God. So you may want to have the bulletin in front of you. If you're home, uh, a reminder of the passage is Luke chapter 1. It begins at verse 26. But the passage begins this way. We are told that an angel, that is a messenger, Gabriel, was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth. And Gabriel comes to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. And of course, that virgin's name is Mary. Now, commentators believe that Mary was between the age of 13 to 15. Now, that, that struck me as, as incredibly young. Mary is 13, 14, or 15. And the scriptures say that the angel comes to her and says, greetings. Uh, another way to translate this uh, is rejoice or be glad. Uh, that, that's what the word really means. So the angel comes to her and says, rejoice. And then the angel calls her favored one. Right? Another way to translate this, and sometimes you'll find this in other uh, translations, is especially graced. Uh, when this was translated from Greek into Latin. It was translated full of grace. So you have this young girl, 13 to 15, and she is full of grace. Now what does that mean? What does it mean that Mary is favored, that she is full of grace? There was a very well-respected Roman Catholic biblical scholar named Raymond Brown. He died in the late 90s. But he has a great little book on Advent. Uh, and in the book, he talks about this question. Or what does it mean that Mary is full of grace and favored? And this is what he writes, and I, and I found this really helpful. He says, Mary, much favored, much honored, is favored not only by having something done to her. No, he says, this favor, and I'm quoting, it corresponds to a status that Mary has already enjoyed. The one whom God has chosen to bear his son is the one who has already enjoyed his grace by the way she has lived. He says, her discipleship, as we shall see, comes into being when she says yes to God's will about Jesus. But such a readiness is possible for her because by God's grace, she has said yes to him before. Thus, Mary's discipleship does not exhibit a conversion, but a consistency. And he ends by saying, the same will be true for us at those unique moments when we are conscious of being invited to say yes to God's will to something important. I found that, that helpful to remember that Mary's discipleship is a discipleship of consistency, not just a sudden conversion. And I found it helpful because it reminds me of that simple truth that if I hope to say yes to God in the big things, well, I got to be saying yes to him in the small things. I think sometimes when we think about God's call on our life, 
we tend to think about the big decisions, and yet just like with Mary, it's our yeses to the, the ordinary things, the mon- mundane things that make all the difference. Right? The difference in our relationship to God, the difference in the building up of His kingdom. Jesus says something similar when He says, whoever can be trusted with very little can be trusted with much. And so I do think it's worth thinking about our own lives and just thinking about how do, how do we say yes to God in our day-to-day life, in the small things, right? Saying yes to inconvenience so that someone else can be blessed. Saying yes to, to doing the unseen, the unnoticed, the underappreciated. Saying yes to overlooking faults and inconsiderate slights. Saying yes to patient listening, though there's much to do and much more to say. Mary's discipleship, again, it doesn't exhibit a conversion, but rather a consistency. And and that is why she is full of grace. Now, after the angel greets her in this way, the angel then says, the Lord is with you. That's important. The Lord is with you. Uh, This phrase comes right out of the Old Testament where every time God chooses someone to do something, he says that that I will be with you. Uh, And it's important because how God works is that when God solicits us, he's looking for a partner. God doesn't just send us out to do something. No, he's looking for a partnership. He's looking for someone to help him in this great work of redemption and healing that he's accomplishing. And so Mary here is being called into partnership with God. The Lord is with you. Now on hearing this greeting, we're told that Mary is confused, she's perplexed, but the angel keeps talking and he says, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found grace and, and favor and honor with God. And then he speaks the announcement. This this is what he came to say to her. Uh, We call it in the church the Annunciation. And it's the announcement not of a birth, but the announcement of a conception. Uh, One uh, one writer I read this week uh, said about the Annunciation that it's like God saying, stand back and see what I'm about to do. The angel says, you will receive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. You will become pregnant, and you will carry a little boy, and you will call him Jesus. Jesus means the Lord saves. Right? Our God is a God who saves. That, that's what he does. And then the angel follows up with a twofold description of Jesus. And it's important for us to look at this if we want to understand what God is doing in Mary's life. It's a twofold description. First description is this The child will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. Most commentators uh, argue that this is not a divine reference. This is probably talking about Jesus' kingship, because kings were called sons of the Most High. He will be great, he will be called Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will will give him the throne of his ancestor David. 
So the first part of Jesus' identity is he's the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. And when we think of that, we should think about all that is said in the Old Testament about the successor to David, the one who will occupy the throne of David forever and bring about peace, peace to the nations. Our psalm spoke to this this morning. That's the first um, description of Jesus. Now, at this point, Mary interrupts and says, how can this be? I'm a virgin. Right? She's engaged to Joseph, but she's not married yet. So she is confused. And, and make note here, this is the second time we're told that Mary is confused in this short little story. Uh, and I think most of us know that if you seek to follow God in your life, there's a lot of confusion. Um, and, and listen, confusion is not an easy place to be. It's actually a very hard place to be. Uh, but we are called not always to understand. We're called to obedience. Obedience is not the result of some uh, cost-benefit analysis. Obedience is an act of trust, and it's trusting that God will figure out the details. He, he'll fill in the gaps, even if we don't understand what's happening. And that's basically then what the angel says to Mary. He says, God has a plan. He says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And I'm sure they didn't answer all Mary's questions, but the point is, God's going to take care of it. And then the angel speaks the second part of Jesus' identity. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. It's a, it's a profound claim about this child. He will be Son of God. You know, the first description about Jesus being the Messiah, the Anointed One, the successor to David, that's all Old Testament language. But this here, this is New Testament preaching. The child will be the unique Son of God, the very presence of God with us. And so, in the end, Mary gives her response. God has stuck his foot in the door, and he has solicited Mary to partner with him in this great work that he's undertaking. And she says, here am I, the servant of the Lord, let it be with me according to your word. Her response has always been seen as the model of faithful discipleship. It's this, this total yielding, this great surrender to God's purposes for her. And of course, the same is required for us. Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.